And we had seven great years there, good, just a good experience to be learning in one's first church. Well, it was on a Friday afternoon, and I'm in my study, and a stranger stops by, and the reason he's there, he's bringing me greetings from uh, Marty's brother, who's a pastor, Herb Neufeld, who was a pastor down in uh, Burnaby, and was this man's pastor at the time. His name is Ian Harvey. And the reason that he is there is that he and his partner have the contract to transport the turbines that the British Columbia government bought from the Soviet Union. And so those big turbines are being shipped to Prince Rupert. And then, of course, they have to be transported across land to where the big dam is being built uh, by Fort well, the, the Bennett Dam out there by Fort St. John West, okay? And so that'll sort of date when all this was going on. And, uh, and we, we chat, and then it turn out that uh, we know some of the same people in Burnaby because he had used to attend a little Baptist General Conference church in Burnaby. And uh, there I had known the pastor who was part-time pastor and a student at Vancouver Bible Institute where I had been a student. And... Um, and so as we talk, I say to Ian, uh, why don't you come to our house in the evening? And he says he will. And then after he leaves, I begin to think about something that had happened about eight years earlier. I had been part of the music team from, from Vancouver Bible Institute uh, for an evening service at this little church that I said that he had been a part of. And, uh, and, uh, and after the service, as I was leaving, I backed up my car into someone else's car. And I took a look at it, and oh my goodness, it looked like an expensive car. This was not a scratch, this was a dent on his left front fender. So I went into the church and found my pastor friend Pat and uh, showed him and uh, wondered who the owner was and he thought it was such and such a, a person. So the person came and this tall, friendly man looks down at me and of course tall, I'm five foot six, so of course he would be looking down at me. That's supposed to be funny. And he said, uh, and he said you got trouble, big trouble. And I said, yeah, and I showed him, and he said, ah, oh, he says, that's, that's nothing. I'll just bring it in the shop tomorrow, and not, not to worry about it. That's nothing. And, uh, you know, there was, so I talked to, he had no intention on me paying for it, and so then I talked to uh, Pastor Pat later, and I wanted to make sure that, are you sure this is okay? And he said, oh, yeah, this guy has, he's got tons of money. Uh, he's, he's an owner of a movie company. Okay, and here we are maybe eight years later, I began to think, you know what? I think this was the guy. Not movie company, but moving company, you see? And it's all adding up. And so when he comes over that evening, we confirmed our previous meeting. Yes, he was the guy he, he didn't really remember. And I told him that I had been telling the story of his generous response to my blunder as an example of the point that is made in the text that we are looking at today. I had actually done a word study 
of the key word in that text. And somehow it had reminded me of the way Ian Harvey had responded to my blunder. And uh, so I tell people the story, and here he was walking into my life. He was a generous man. By the way, the treasurer told me afterwards that on Sunday evening he had come to our church and he had left a, a generous donation. So there was a consistency there. So let's look at that verse, and we're in the, uh, the passage we're in is Philippians chapter 4. And uh, the first Sunday we looked at uh, verse, uh, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And then last week we looked at uh, verse 6 and 7, Be careful for nothing, or uh, don't be concerned about nothing. Let's just look at it. Philippians 4, uh, verses 4 and following. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But today, especially looking at verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is at hand. And as we look at this this morning, I want to talk about the meaning of that, and then secondly about the scope, that is how widely is it to go. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the significance. Why is this? Why does it matter? And finally the motivation. But beginning with the meaning and different translations, uh, you know, different ways of translating it. I think probably when I did my word study it was from the King James where it says, let your moderation be known to all men. What in the world does that mean, that you're supposed to be uh, restrained in your coffee intake, for example, or alcohol, be a mo- you know, let your moderation be known to all men. Well, uh, that's not the way they translate it these days, reasonableness, gentleness, forbearing spirit. But it's an interesting word, and uh, commentators tell us that there is no one English word that really does justice to its meaning in the original Greek. But it's that quality that does not insist on the strict letter of the law for your own advantage, but it's willing to make allowances, willing to bend a bit, not demanding strict justice from others. One person has it like this, satisfied with less than one's due. You can see that that's pretty significant. Satisfied with less than one's due. Therefore, showing consideration, showing gentleness, kindness, moderation, a forbearing spirit to others. I think you can see how uh, this man who was part owner of that moving uh, company showed exactly that quality to me. He did not insist on his just due, which was to have my insurance pay the whole bill. Uh, Graciousness, you know, treating people with grace, because after all, grace is undeserved 
kindness. Grace goes beyond what people deserve. Life is hard. Many are hurting. Grant them grace. People make mistakes. Give them grace. People say things they shouldn't say. Give them grace. But you say, shouldn't we stand up for truth, for that which is right? Well, yes, of course we should. And so please understand that this isn't about being tolerant about evil or excusing evil. Not at all. In fact, silence in the face of evil is in itself evil. Ephesians 5, 11, 11 have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Expose them. And so when I hear about a crime being uh, you know, committed on the news, and I mean the kind of crime especially that uh, hurts people, I'm for totally cheering for that to be fully exposed so that it can be properly dealt with. But this is about being, having a, a generous as opposed to a demanding kind of a spirit. I think you can, you can sense that in people. We can, we can be so demanding that we want exactly what's entitled to us plus a little. And, and if there's an error made, better that it errs in, in our favor than the other way. Or we can be gracious, satisfied with less than one's due. This is about being the kind of person who is quick to forgive. Inclined to go the second mile. Giving people room for their inevitable imperfections. Being the kind of person whose default is to treat people with grace. When you think about it, when you think about where we've come from, how could it be otherwise? Having been given so much grace, how then could we not give grace to others? How could it be otherwise? Now we might think that this is great Christian to Christian. After all, we are to love our brothers and sisters in a very special way. After all, we have so much in common and hopefully they'll be gracious to us as well. But I note, secondly, the scope. He goes on to say here, you know, um, let your gentleness be evident. Where? To all. Not just fellow believers. Not just members of your family. Not just your friends. Not just people that you like. But to all. Your neighbors. Your associates. Of course, also, and not, not, you know, not incidentally, but of course extremely important to your church family. And so we might say, well, how can this be evident to all? How, how can it be? How can we be known that way uh, to everybody knows us? Well, it's, it's when you act like this because you are like that, right? This is the kind of person that you have become. So, of course, this will be the norm. This will be the way you tend to act. Because of Christ, you become that kind of a person so that extending grace to others is like part, it's like part of your DNA so that wherever you are, whoever you are with, well, 
just the way you are. That's your default. And then you become known. It becomes evident that you are a person who treats people with grace. Does it matter? Is it important? And that brings me to the third point, and that has to do with significance. You know, I can think of reasons why it's pretty important. And I, and I have three here that I want to develop this morning. The first one has to do with the congregation. <laughs> Relating to one another within the congregation. I, you, you've probably noticed that the church is made up of people, and I hate to break it to you if you never notice this, but flawed people. You ever notice that? <laughs> yeah. Church consists of people with rough edges. And therefore it takes this kind of grace in order to experience and to continue to experience good fellowship and unity. And when you think about the healthy, good congregation, it's really quite remarkable. You know, here, here you have a group of people that come from so many different perspectives. And I say that a healthy, you know, really a good church would be one that has all the ages, right? I, I, I would expect so. A good church would have several ethnic groups. Uh, a good church would have people in different levels of economic um, ability, right? You know, all the way from the people that are barely making it and maybe not even making it on their own to those who are reasonably wealthy. And then, of course, the, the many, many different types of personalities, right? You know, they talk about type A, and I don't even know what all of that means, but, you know, they categorize their different personalities. And not everybody easily relates well to everybody else. And so how in the world, then, are you going to have reasonably good fellowship and support from one another without this kind of room where we are orientated to treat one another with grace. I need that from you, and you need that from me. We're called to love one another, and an essential part of love is the capacity to make allowances to treat one another with grace. Here's a nice little uh, catchy note that uh, came from uh, Chuck Smith who was longtime pastor of Calvary Chapel, I believe someplace down in California, passed away a few years ago. But he had a saying, blessed are the flexible, they will not be broken. <laughs> yeah, we need that. It's important for the sake of good, healthy fellowship and unity within the church. There's another reason, maybe in a well, I'm not even going to say which is more important. This is in a very important one, and it's simply this. We are called into a new order, a new realm. We are members of his kingdom, and our king is our example. And our call is to reflect, in a sense, to even be Jesus to people that means that we will be different. We live in a world today where there is such an emphasis upon rights. Rights. I want my rights. And as Christians, we should be very concerned about human rights. And I would say especially the rights of others. And that would even mean the rights of other religious groups. 
We should be concerned about that. And yet at the same time, we are expected to be generous with our own rights, satisfied with less than our due. As kingdom people, we are called to become a people who go further than justice and fairness. People who go the second mile. There is a wonderful report type of a book came out not that, not that long ago. It's called A Wind in the House of Islam by David Garrison. And uh, in this uh, carefully researched book, he is showing that thousands of Muslim people are becoming Christians in different places, different rivers, that this is happening. And uh, we don't hear a lot about that, but it's a good book to consult, and it's going on. And, uh, b- but in that context, he makes this uh, significant statement of the responsibility of Jesus' uh, disciples. He says, Jesus' instructions to turn the other cheek, to go the extra mile, to pray for those who despise you and forgive those who have offended you, remain non-negotiables for Christ's faithful disciples today. And that's where the contrast is of the two kingdoms. Oh, they have borrowed a lot from our kingdom, right? Even the concern for rights of people, I think, comes from our kingdom. And yes, of course. (laughs) But we are to remain the kind of people who are prepared to turn the other cheek, to be generous about our rights. We are followers of the one who gave up his rights, even to the point of death, to meet our needs. And I wonder how often Christians have failed to reflect Christ because they were just as rigid about their dues as anyone else. Just as angry when those rights were challenged as anyone else. Just as petty as anyone else. And I wonder how many squabbles and splits have occurred in churches because the members were just as concerned about having their way, achieving, maintaining power as anyone else. But we're part of a different regime. We, our king is Jesus. Well, it brings me to the third observation. Why is it significant? Because people need grace. People need grace. It was said about Jesus A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. You never know whose wick is already smoldering and on the verge of going out. You never know how thin a tread is holding someone together. Someone nearby, someone you can relate to, could be near the breaking point. People need your generous grace. You never know because as author Gary Thomas says smoldering wicks don't wear signs. Hmm. You just don't know who needs a special touch. And so people need more than strict fairness or just what they deserve. We learn to treat people according to their needs rather than according to what they deserve. 
People need grace thrown in. Michelle Herzberger wrote a book called A Christian View of Hospitality. And uh, in this uh, uh, book, she tells the story of Wanda. And uh, she says about her first, um, uh, you know, Wanda ended up in her daycare center, and Michelle was just struggling to get this day center uh, working. And she says that this uh, Wanda, about Wanda, her kids were a pain. She was slow paying her bills. And then she left the daycare sticking me with an unpaid unpaid bill of $500, which really hurt because this was in the beginning part of her daycare. But then about six weeks later, Michelle felt God speaking to her, go buy Wanda some groceries. She struggled with such a weird notion for two weeks, and then she... Then she did it. She bought two bags and her husband delivered them without fanfare, leaving them on Wanda's steps. Six months later, Michelle felt God call again. Go visit Wanda. Well, very reluctantly she did. She drove to her town, found Wanda. Some things had changed. This time they met as friends, not as daycare director and client. Not as superior and inferior or landlord and debtor, but as equals. They sat down, and for the first time, Wanda began to tell Michelle her story. She told of times of incredible abuse and hardship. She says, I found, found hard to believe. I cried and cried, but Wanda did not cry until she began to tell me about the time she was going to commit suicide. She was facing another end, uh, a weekend without food. She had spent so many weekends like that, too many weekends with hungry children, and she knew that she couldn't do it again. She just couldn't. And she went and she made arrangements. She borrowed a gun, and uh, that, she was going to do it that weekend, that night, in fact. But on the way home, she prayed to God for the first time, God, if you're up there, I need to know really soon because I won't fill in the blanks. When she drove into her driveway, she saw two bags of groceries. Dogs were circling around them, but for some strange reason, those dogs didn't go near the food. Hungry as the children were, she put the food in the house and she drove to the nearest church that she could find. Wanda talked to a pastor and began a relationship with God that day. And then she says, two bags of groceries, an angel sent them. And uh, Michelle did, did not tell her otherwise. You know. But here was a smoldering wick, a bruised reed that needed grace from another human being. Now I know, I know that these kind of dramatic examples are rare. But I think of it this way. For every dramatic example like that, think of the hundreds of lesser situations. Think of the ordinary yet helpful instances that occur daily as his people live by kingdom ways and extend kindness and mercy 
grace to people, treating people according to the need rather than what they deserve. And recipients of these mercies, because they, they receive that kind of kindness, they are encouraged to hang in there because someone cared enough to be like Jesus to them. Let your gentleness, let your forbearing, gracious spirit be known to all. Finally, the motivation. He says that the Lord is at hand. Now, in the New Testament, including Paul, it seems that they expected Jesus to return within their lifetime. And that might be exactly what Paul has in mind here. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen soon. The Lord is at hand. Or maybe, he is, uh, maybe he's thinking of the fact that he's here with us. The Lord is near. You know, even as uh, Jesus said in the Great Commission, Lo, I am with you, even unto the end of the age. Uh, and so it could be that that's, that's kind of the assurance there, that as we do the king's business, the king is with us. And as we live as King Jesus would want us to live, as in the case of Michelle, in the way she treated Wanda, I'm there, I'm with you, the Lord is at hand. However, whatever that does mean, the one thing we know that every one of us, we are just potentially a heartbeat away from seeing the Lord the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. So be generous. Be overflowing with grace in the way that you relate to others. We have been blessed so that we can be a blessing to others. Having been given grace so freely, pass on grace freely. The Lord is near. And when we see Him, all these petty things well, we have to have our way, you know. <laughs> Treat me right. I want what I deserve. Plus, those things will be so small. And so treat people today with grace. The Lord is near. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. It's all ours. There's a reading that I've taken from a, a book by Neil Anderson. It's called Victory Over Darkness. And uh, this is what he says. Uh, people are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Do good anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. People really need help, but may attack you if you help them. Help people anyway. Give the world the best you've got, and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best you've got anyway. Let your gentle, forbearing, gracious spirit be evident to all. The Lord is at hand. Let's pray. Lord, what a privilege, and yet what a responsibility to live in our struggling way, in a way that reflects Jesus' gracious Spirit, and especially to those who were needy, and at the same time being completely firm 
and standing against evil. Give us the wisdom to know the difference and give us the graciousness to offer grace and yet the boldness to stand up for that which is right. We ask this in the name of Jesus with thanksgiving for the wonderful love and the grace that you've offered to us. In his name, amen.